When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to... <laughs> What's going on? Oh, sorry. What have you found? I still had lots of chocolate in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, off we go. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. Have you finished your chocolate now? <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. gone. It's all gone. Uh, I'm Alex Lacey <laughs> and we are qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. <laughs> Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London... We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of information and what? Fun, Sometimes laughs. It? Some laughs or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, God. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies in London Podcast and on our websites, guideemily.com and alexlacy.com, as well as our dedicated website, ladieswholondon.com for more information about the podcast and about us. Gosh, I mean, I think the problem is that we record it quite late. The problem is me, babe. I think we've established this. Actually, do you know what it is? It is you. It's all you. So sort yourself out. I'm rubbish. I'm rubbish. Anyway, hello, Em. How are you? Hello, my love. I'm very well. Good. Are you having a good week? I'm having a good week. got a bit of a sore throat, Ooh. which makes everyone just go, oh, Rona. <laughs> but I don't You're think right. it is Rona. <laughs> are you but sure? Yeah, other than that, it's a bit chilly, isn't it, though? It's so cold. It really, really is. Um, yeah, even with the heating on. And you nearly set fire to your house earlier. Oh, my God. I've had a day. <laughs> we had, a, had a, a power cut this afternoon. So I lit all my candles because it was getting dark mm. and then left them burning and then sat down to chat to you and <laughs> set fire to something in my house. Tried to put it out, set fire to something else. We're You're okay, laughing, though. but you, it was a close call, wasn't it? Was it? A close call. Wow. Yeah, I'm very clever. Yeah, you and your oven gloves back there—they would have been woof. I know, I know. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Gosh. Anyway, you're here, which is the main thing. I'm here, and I have to and... tell you, Emily, we're oh, yes. in trouble this week. Why? Well, we're in trouble for different things. Oh. So, firstly, you're in trouble. Oh, what? <laughs> Just me. Yeah, well, with one of our listeners, Ben, oh, Ben no. Olney, um, who messaged to say, I am outraged. 
outrage. Oh no, what a word. (laughs) I know, he's joking, it's fine. Uh, Is he? I'm not sure. He said, when we talked about the bookshop episode, you said that there was uh, a branch of Hatchards in King's Cross Station. And it's not, it's in St Pancras. Oh, come on, Ben, (laughs) honestly. I really panicked then. I was like, oh, my God, what is it? What have I said that's wrong now? (laughs) Oh, do you know what? That is bad, actually, because they are two separate buildings. I do fully apologise. very close by, though. Uh, does that mean that you were out there looking for it, Ben, and you were like, oh, well, God, I'm now, have to... Actually, he says um, he works for HS1 who own it. Oh, so he knows already. So instantly he, is, he was yeah. shouting whilst listening, going, Basically, oh, what a yeah. stupid girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Hang on a minute. Am I? Are you getting told off as well? I'm getting told off for something else. Oh, what are you getting told off for? No, I'm getting told off. So I don't know if you remember, but last week I gave a shout out to my lovely cousin Joe in Australia. Hi, Joe. I got into, I, I basically forced her to listen to the podcast and happily she fell in love. So that's good. And I also said hi to my fairy goddaughter, Ivy, but I didn't say hi to her brother, Henry. Now, I didn't think Henry was going well, to listen to it. Slap on the wrist, Alex. And I Come got on. a message from Joe saying Henry is devastated. No, I'm not surprised. Now, Henry, I'm just going to put this out here. Henry, listen to me. Oh. The only reason I didn't say hello is because I wanted you to have your own shout out in this week's episode. So, Henry, my darling, I'm very sorry hello to you i'm glad you're listening enjoy <laughs> i'm sure he's really happy with that alex <laughs> gosh what a what a year he's having <laughs> <laughs> oh well you know i thought i thought i was bad yeah um, there we go but there we go um and i've got a couple of shout outs actually um oh, we yeah. have had the most wonderful email from a woman who lives in san francisco Yes, that's right, everybody. I love San Francisco. We've got listeners in America. (laughs) You aren't our friends. (laughs) Grace is my friend now, though, because we've been emailing each other. Um, So Grace emailed us and um, said that she really loves um, the pod. Has listened to every episode. Thank you, and she thank you very much, Grace. And she comes from a long line of um, uh, family members who are jewelers. and has requested that at some point we talk about uh, the crown jewels. Oh, now that's interesting because I did have one particular crown jewel on my list. Oh, you did, didn't you? I did, yeah, which I've spoken to you in the past about wanting to do. So as Mm. soon as somewhere comes up that is linked to that, that's going to be straight on my list, Grace. So fantastic! But it was such a space? such a sweet email. So thank you so much for that, Grace. Big shout out to you in San Francisco. Um, also, I had a lovely message from Elizabeth, who you all know because she came in the taxi with us. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Hi, Liz. Um, and Elizabeth said that she voted in terms of the podcast pedestal for the mosque because uh, her friend's brother-in-law is the imam there. <gasps> Get away. Yeah. Oh, Seriously. that's amazing. So pretty high up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not surprised. And I and I will let you have that, Elizabeth, you know. Um, ah. Yeah, so there we go. Wow, thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks for getting mm. back in touch. We're both very glad you're still listening. We're just like yeah. worried we'd put you off from having a like, chaotic day with us in a cab. 
I remember I just I shoved some kind of uh, lit up reindeers around your neck and was like, get in the cab. And then pelted her with Quality Street. (laughs) Oh, so yes, glad to know that you're still a fan. And before we get on with the pod, I have Hmm. a number for you. Oh, and I Is want it your you phone number? <laughs> no, you've been trying to get me to give me give you my <laughs> Please, phone number for Alex, years. Why won't you Not let happening. me text you? Um, <laughs> I think we all know why. I've got um, so many photos. No, I'm going to give you a number and I want you to tell me what it is. All right. Oh, so the number is 105,322. How many odd socks you own? I mean, that's accurate. Yeah. It's not the one. <laughs> Is it downloads? It is. Oh, my God. So that's, that's the number of downloads we've had since we started the podcast. So we've smashed through the 100,000 downloads. Oh, mate. Sorry. High fives. I know. High Virtual high fives. That's so good. And thank you, everybody out there for downloading. I'd like to thank my agent. I'd like to thank my mum. No, yeah. I'd like to thank Thames Water. <laughs> <laughs> Um, really good. Thanks so much, everybody. I mean, it's, okay, you know, we're not, we're not. Let's face it, we're not celebrity podcasters or anything like that. But for our little pod, that is a smashing yeah, number. That really is. I'm Gosh, thrilled. that's got me all giggly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of I checked the stats this week, and I was like, oh, we've gone through the hundred thousand barrier. So yeah, that's fab. Mm. Party poppers. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we're bringing back a popular. Uh, segment. I don't know. We call it a segment. That makes it sound like, like we know what we're doing. <laughs> kind of sway into the we segment. Have, we did have a few we? emails from people going, "Oh, I'm really sad. The podcast pedestal's gone." And we thought, actually, so are we. So we brought it back, mm-hmm. and we've asked you to vote this week. So, for those of you who are new to the pod or starting at the beginning or whatever, Emily, can you explain what the podcast pedestal is, please? Absolutely. So each week, Alex and I, we take it in turns to talk about a particular subject. So for instance, last week, I spoke about the Bangladeshi community in London. At the end of our conversation, we both pick something that just really excited us or something that kind of made our eyebrows jump in the air, a crux point. And then on a Sunday, I put up the polls and I say, guys, (laughs) if I remember, I did this week. I loved your message, by the way. You're like, happy poll day. I was like, I have remembered. You don't need to say that. I know what you're trying to do. I was being nice about it. Um, Did you notice, say, that like literally two minutes later, I put it up? Yeah. I was like, oh, God, quick. (laughs) Um, No, so then you guys pick um, which you think should be on the podcast pedestal. And that's it. That's it. It's as simple as that. That's it. So what what were our picks? Well, last week, which was the, uh, we're talking about, or you were talking about um, Brick Lane and the uh, Bangladeshi community in the area, which was really fab. And it was really nice to hear a bit more about a community that I know a bit about, but not a huge amount, and um, just find out a little bit more about it. And you went for, I thought, a fantastic choice of uh, Boishaki Mela, which is the um, sort of the festival, the celebration of everything that is Bangladeshi around the time of the Bangladeshi New Year. And it goes all the way through um, Brick Lane. And I was looking at some pictures of it this week, cause I, and I, it's in my diary now. So uh, maybe we'd do a Lady to London outing to it. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, but it looked fantastic. And that was my pick. Sorry, that was your pick. And then my pick was the Brick Lane Mosque, which is a building that has been everything from 
um, a Protestant church when the first wave of immigration came through to then the Jewish synagogue and then more latterly the Brick Lane Mosque. And that was my pick. Now, there we go. <laughs> I can see Emily is already not very happy. She doesn't know what the outcome is, but she thinks I she knows. do. I do. Even Nick, my fiance, picked yours. Did he? Thanks, Nick. Yes. Thanks. Yes. I knew I liked Thanks. him. Okay, shall I put you out of um, your misery? Put me out of my misery. Go on. Well, the, the difference was 22% to 78%. Can you tell which way it went? I know it went your way. And yeah. do you know what? That's absolutely fine. Because this is what happened last year. You were ahead. You were <laughs> running away from me. I could barely see you in the distance. And then suddenly, before you knew it. I knew you complex again. Before you knew it, I came speeding past. Well, not um, past. You leveled. <laughs> <laughs> for a while, I sped past. That's very true. That's I very was true. drinking in the pub whilst you were still, you know, trying to get to me. Tootling along. Story um, <laughs> But uh, no, congratulations. That's one nil to me, I'm afraid. I'm going to be a lot more gracious this year. 2022, I'm going to be a lot more gracious. Well done, Alex Lacey. Thank you very much. I mean, I'll believe it when I see it, but Mm. uh, (laughs) your words are gracious. Your face is not quite so gracious. (laughs) Show me your face. (laughs) Um, No, well, let's see. Well, what... What are you going to be talking about this week, Alex? What excitement have we got going on this week? Well, this week I wanted to talk about something which is called the Beggar's Opera. Now, don't turn off and go, oh, hey, opera, because this is not an opera. Well, it is. It's not. No, it's not an opera. Come on, Alex, make your mind up. (laughs) It is a kind of an anti-opera, really. And they it is sometimes described as the kind of first musical and i love a musical are you a musical fan em i love musicals i just love any theater to be honest yeah. um we've got operation mincemeat next week <gasps> i'm so excited so oh excited my. and we don't even really know how many people are coming there might just be two of you there might be none of you actually i know that one of my friends is coming so there well, might so you've got at one. least one so there good. might be 40 i don't know um but oh that's the point we need to get in touch with the theater and and book a spot in the bar don't we um <laughs> and you know it's just gonna be us and one that's fine <laughs> that's fine everybody that's likes fine. space yes exactly um, um but yes go on what was i talking about i can't remember theater. anyway yes, love theater. it so the beggar's opera uh was released in the 1700s and it was a huge hit and it's quite actually quite important even though i mean when it's funny because there, there's a lot of people you mention the beggar's opera to them and they nod and they go oh yeah yeah i've heard of that or i know a bit about that um and it's it's one of those things that sort of has rippled down through history because it's not one of those things that was massive at the time and then stopped and nobody ever heard about it again. Mm. It's one of those ones where it has been replayed several times since. And I'll tell you a bit later about some of the famous people who've kind of you know reimagined it and, and done it on stage and screen as well actually um but i'm as you know i sing i've been in a choir since i was about six years old and a lot of my music friends will have heard or know of or, or even performed in the beggar's opera so why is it so important well as i mentioned it's the kind of precursor to the modern musical really um it started in a theater that was on lincoln's Inn fields you know that area well at all Yes, yes. So it's basically just a stone throw away from Covent Garden, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And you've got um, the largest, I think it's the largest square in London. 
think it is. I think you're right. So there used to be, just on the south side, of the, in the square today, there are tennis courts right in the middle. But on the south side of Lincoln's Inn Fields, there's a street called Portugal Street. And there used to be um, a very famous tennis court there called Lyle's Tennis Courts. Mm-hmm. And for about maybe... 100 years or so, or a bit less than that, the, maybe, maybe about 50 or 60 years, the site rebounded between being tennis courts and being a theatre. And it starts out uh, with its sort of theatre licence under a man called uh, Sir William Davenant. Does this name ring any bells to you? No. Okay. He's a very important chap because... When now we have to go slightly back, and this is going to be a little bit historical, everybody. I do apologise for this. When we go back into uh, the middle of the 1600s, we have the period known as the Commonwealth under Oliver Cromwell, who uh, outlaws all theatres, all the fun stuff. You know, I think it's horrible histories that call him as much as much fun as uh, underpants made of nettles or something like that. Mm. Um, he was he was he was unfun. He was a fun sponge. Yes. And so when the next king takes the throne, Charles II, known as the Merry Monarch. He goes, right, chaps, all of the fun stuff you couldn't do, we're going to put it back on again. And he gives out uh, two licences to two theatres uh, in London, and these were called the patent theatres. And these were then licensed to perform what was what was termed spoken drama. Um, there were other theatres that could do um, kind of comedy and dance and melodrama and stuff like that. But if you're talking about sort of serious drama... There were only two that were allowed and you could have a bit of singing and dancing in there to become, you know, so it wasn't too kind of full on. But basically there were two of these and one of the patents was given to this guy, Sir William Davenant. So he decided to set up this theatre, which became known as the Lincoln's Inn Theatre, as one of these two in London that were allowed to do kind of, let's say, serious, serious theatre, serious plays and that kind of thing. Um, the other one was granted to a chap called Thomas Killigrew and he created his troupe, his company, uh, at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. Mm, so I have heard there. of this chap. There we go, there, there we, we go. go. Now these um, are started up, so the patent's given out in the early 1660s and the, the two theatres are, are um, sort of set up sh- uh, shortly afterwards. And this one that I mentioned that is the, the tennis court that's under... Uh, Sir William Davenant kind of rebounds back and forth for a little bit between I don't know how they managed to do it but between well it was it was um, real tennis so not tennis the way we know it today but if anyone's ever visited Hampton Court Palace it's more that they've got a court there and you can go and, and see it it's, it's a quite bizarre form of tennis but anyway and was um, this the time when they were playing it with their hands instead of rackets uh no well Roy, Roy, real tennis used to be played with rackets but there were other types of sort of tennis that could be played with hands as well right so, I read that this one was was real tennis. Whether they did some of the hand tennis there too, I don't know. And if that was called something else, I'm not sure. But eventually, it sort of trickles down uh, the family to a chap called Christopher Rich. And he decides that actually what he's going to do is knock down the tennis court, no longer going to be a tennis court, and builds uh, a, an actual proper theatre in 1714. Problem is, the year that he builds it, guess what happens? As always happens in these things, he dies. Oh, no. Poor Mr. Rich. (laughs) No. But don't worry, because his son, John Rich, is around and John Rich takes it over and becomes the kind of actor manager. So he sort of, you know, he owns it, but he directs and he acts and all that kind of thing. Okay. And he starts putting on shows and all this, you know, all, all of that. Then in 1728, he's approached by another guy called John, John Gay. And John Gay has written 
this kind of anti-opera, which is known as the Beggar's Opera, and it's sort of um, kind of described as a bit like a ballad opera. Mm-hmm. So what a lot of the... Uh, so the, a lot of the big theatres... Now, by this point, I should say that Thomas Killigrew um, has... Uh, he has sort of given up his licence and the two companies have been formed into one, but you've now got the Theatre Royal Haymarket, who is kind of the big competition. Okay. So... At the Theatre Royal Haymarket, they're doing lots of kind of Italian operas and it's all, you know, it's all very fancy and a bit... Oh, wait, costly. is it Haymarket or Drury? <clears throat> no. So at the moment, this is the Haymarket that's doing... Right, okay. ...big kind of... Well, the Theatre Royal Drury Lane is as well, but it's sort of under under the, the same kind of management as as the Lincoln's Inn Fields one. Okay. But the Theatre Royal Haymarket, which is their big competition, they are doing these Italian operas. And operas have become, you know, quite elitist. They're, they are horrifyingly expensive the people going are you know very much the upper echelons of society you didn't have the surtitles the way you do today so a lot of it they're not going to understand it it's all in operatic italian and it's all you know lots of people spending money to 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 be kind of in society and be doing the right thing Mm. and john gay who's written this opera he's just like this is ridiculous and he he thinks it's completely silly that all of these people are going kind of dripping in their finery looking down on everybody else and he's like right let's do a satirical piece that is going to kind of poke fun at them. And this is what he does. Now, a lot of the the theatres that are not your big opera and your big sort of serious theatre are quite used to sort of mixed bills of entertainment, let's say. So you'll have a bit of singing, a bit of dancing. You might have, uh, you know, a sailor clown pop out at some point. Oh, hello. <laughs> in your ballpark. Oh, you know, um, they might have some, a bit of a turn, you know, somebody coming mm. and doing some other stuff. And would that between. be during, I mean, would there ever be nothing on the stage you know like at the moment the curtain falls and you have 15 20 minutes would there constantly be something going do you mean like a sort of sort of going around 24 hours yeah any dead air kind of thing or if you were going to the theater and it was like a four-hour performance would it be four hours or would they do a little break where nothing happens on stage i I don't know they'd probably do a break to be honest i don't Mm. really know i don't know how long these things would be but they were kind of almost like showcasing a whole load of stuff. So it wouldn't be that you'd get a play from start to finish. It would be a bit of this and a bit of that, and it would be all a bit over. Of a variety show, really. Kind of. Mm. So John Gay thinks, right, well, I'm going to turn that on its head. And he does something that is kind of a bit new and rather exciting, um, which is where this it gets its sort of, its cachet as being one of the first musicals. He decides he is going to do the first play. So it's a play throughout but with songs interspersing, which kind of form part of the plot as well. And this is really right. new. This No one's seen this before. So when he opens it up, people are, they don't quite know what to think to start with. And the very first, mm. I think the very first um, performance, everybody kind of, there was silence for the first kind of 20 minutes. And then there was one particular number uh, that is sung by one of the characters. And then suddenly everyone went wild. And the entire oh. thing is hugely popular. So what he's doing is as well as kind of, taking you know taking it on its head turning it on its head and doing something very different he decides he's got to think really carefully about who is going to be in it and what he, he what he still wants to do is to be satirical about these italian operas who are talking about kind of dukes and earls and kings and queens and all of that you know and he's like i'm going to do the opposite thing i'm going to talk about sort of normal folk normal people who are about vice rather than about 
sort of virtue, I suppose. Yes, all the dodgy characters. Exactly. And one of the things that was super popular at the time were the public really loved stories of kind of the underworld, like criminals and harlots and Mm, beggars. Jack Shepard. Exactly. Do you know what? This is exactly that period, Jack Shepard's period. So he decides that's what he's going to do. And people are reading newspapers about... Uh, all of these kind of crime people and they're lapping it up. It's kind of the same way I guess we do today with crime dramas and, and, you know, real crime documentaries and stuff. They loved it. They were people who were releasing biographies of some of the most famous criminals. You know, there were ones released about Jack Shepard and they were bestsellers and people were lapping it up. So he was like, right, well, let's do that then. So that's what he bases it around. Thieves and harlots and the like, all of that. I'm not surprised people went wild for it. I know. Because I I guess, you know, people probably went to the theatre as well, not really to fully pay attention. And so suddenly, you know, their ears are pricked up where they hear, you know, these obscene things that they've never heard before. And suddenly everybody's singing. Absolutely. And and on top of that, he also did something where you think about these Italian operas and these huge arias and all of that. He decides that, again, he needs to look at music that people would know so he Mm. uses what what was so-called kind of common tunes which is basically melodies that that people already knew Mm. from other plays well not really from other plays but um because that wasn't really a thing but through print um through kind of music halls and things like that so Mm. there'd be all sorts of different kind of local songs there'd be pieces stolen from operas but kind of retooled a little bit and he added new words to things and, and changed it all around and you mentioned Jack Shepard. He did take uh, chunks of his plot from what was happening in the press. So the popular press, you know, what they were telling mm, people. All of these kind clever. of shady stories. Very clever, really, really Mr. Gay. Very clever. Very clever. So he went to John uh, Rich with this and he said, I've got this new show, this new kind of concept. What do you think? And John Rich thought great idea and he knew that he had to compete in some way with the Haymarket Theatre and he was kind of like well we can do the same thing as them but they're already established doing these operas we can kind of carry on doing what we're doing but we're not really getting the, the footfall so let's let's give it a try and he he decides to go for it now the plot is quite fun so the plot is set around Newgate Prison um, which of course I think we've spoken about before maybe we sure. spoke about it when we were talking about Jack Shepard, who was detained there. Interesting, interesting. Mm. So um, we start out with a man called Mr. Peachum and his wife. Now, Mr. Peachum is, <laughs> well, he's called a fence. Now, a fence was somebody who sort of was a mover of stolen goods. So, you know, if it dropped off the back of a lorry, Mr. Peachum might get his hands on it and sell it. Oh. He was a bit of a Dell boy, basically. Okay, I like um, him. Fantastic. Um, And his wife as well. So they're there. And they find out that their daughter, Polly, has married or at least sort of committed herself to, let's say, a highwayman. We love a highwayman. We uh, do love a highwayman. (laughs) As we know, famously, uh, called MacHeath. So that's these kind Ah, of the big big sort of baddie in it. Now, they are absolutely furious because they have decided that Polly is going to be a harlot. They've sort of groomed her to go into the sex industry. And they say, right, her dad says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill McKeith. So Polly basically heads to McKeith and says, right, you've got to go. Leg it. I'll oh. join you, uh, but just go. Wow. I think I've got another fire. Hang on. What? Oh, no. Oh, do you know what? I suddenly saw this kind of orangey glow just to the right of the screen. Yeah, and you were no. walking towards it. I thought you were a goner. 
So what it, what it is is I had a bowl of <laughs> I had a bowl of floating candles and it sounded like when this other thing caught a light, but actually it was just them extinguishing. They'd got to the point where they were being extinguished out in the bowl. <laughs> I'm just having this awful feeling that can you imagine like I hint for I'm I'm on Zoom now and suddenly there's this huge just fire, fire and I'm just, just keep and going, I can't it'll be fine. Do, do anything. I, I but watch. <laughs> You know me, I'll just be like, let's get the podcast done and then I'll sort it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you? Oh, dear. Anyway, anyway. So, um, McKeith leaves London. Well, he no, he says he's going to leave London. He doesn't. He goes to his favourite brothel. Of course you do. And he, there is his ex-lover, a lady called Jenny Diver. And she betrays him to the authorities. <gasps> so, McKeith goes to prison. And in prison, he persuades the jailer's daughter called Lucy Lockett uh, to help him escape. She's pregnant with his child. She's also a lover of his. She does oh, help God, him. He gets around, oh, doesn't he? Lucy <laughs> Lockett as well. Um, Polly pitches up at the jail, um, finds out that he that Lucy's pregnant with his child. Lucy finds out that he's betrothed to Polly. They have an all-out brawl in the prison. <gasps> um, she tries to poison Polly as well, but she fails. And she does let him out. She does let McKeith out. She she. Um, managed to break him out of prison he heads off again he's then informed on and rearrested. the women arrive and plead for his fate and he is sentenced to be hanged and at this point the narrator of the story intervenes and goes hey no no an opera should end happily and he walks free <laughs> so oh. i mean that's that's I the whole thing in a very i knew small this story show. i've definitely you know i've definitely come across it and watched some form of it on stage but I've forgotten how fantastic it sounds. It's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, yeah. It's a three-act play and I've just really kind of scooched it down. But they all yeah. kind of have songs that drive the plot along and all this kind mm. of thing. So it's but really the brawl and the, the prison scene must be brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's kind of a, you know, it goes through everything. It's got pos- attempted murder and fights and arrests and all this kind of thing. And so you've mentioned someone a couple of times um john gay did actually draw his characters from real life criminals um mcheath who do you think mcheath is based on well it's got to be dick turpin right no oh it's dick turpin a little bit later is it jack shepherd it's jack shepherd it's jack shepherd who (gasps) escapes uh, you know has loads of you know wives and things like that for you know these prison escapes wow he's got um edgeware bess isn't he exactly um and and there was a play put on yeah, a play actually put on about Jack Shepard. So, yeah, go. I mean, John Gay obviously knew how popular it was. As you said, he was looking through the press and seeing what was getting people's attention. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, well, McKeith. Then you've got Mr. Peacham, who is based upon, who was a kind of uh, this underworld like crime lord, a guy called Jonathan Wilde, who is on my list as somebody I want to discuss at some point uh, on the podcast. John Wilde. John Wilde. Um, and John so Wilde. He's the father. Of, of Polly, he, of Polly, who he wanted to send to a harem. He wanted to be, become a, a harlot. A harlot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a harem, not quite. But yeah, he wants you know because the, the whole thing is about how the how the sort of low lives live. It's it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so Jonathan Wall was someone, yeah, who would sort of sell on stolen goods back to their owners and things like that. You know, he was he was a bit of a uh, a guy. And then Jenny Diver, who is the ex-lover who betrays McKeith, yeah. is a real well, the name of a real person who was uh, a pickpocket in London. She was pretty famous oh. for it. Yeah. See, you know, these days you wouldn't be able to use the same names, would you? Probably you get into all sorts of trouble, so Probably you know, not. 
So John Gay, he ran with it. Absolutely. Why? Well, I mean, if you can get away with it. Why? I, mean, I wonder if she saw it. Dickens then. did a lot as well, wasn't it? Is was to use people's names. All yeah, the true. Can them. you imagine if Jenny Diver? She was like, it is Jenny Diver, isn't it? Jenny Diver. Yeah. Yeah. If she, you know, walked in and was like, it's me. Oh, They're it's talking me. about me. That, that me. <laughs> oh, she's got my name. Wait, what? Um, and then this amazing fight that Polly Peachum and Lucy Lockett have. And Lucy Lockett, of course, she turns up in the story of Lucy Lockett lost her pocket. I Not, thought um, so. Kitty yeah. Fisher found it, which we talked about. Kitty, Kitty Fisher, Fisher, yeah. Lucy Lockett in her big pocket. Absolutely. Um, so that this fight that happens between Polly and Lucy uh, is said to kind of satirise this massive fight that the two quite famous at the time, quite famous Italian opera singers had. Um, they were supposed to kind of hate each other and they supposedly had this massive fight. Um, and, and again, that's sort of based on... So again, poking fun at all of this big mm. kind of, um, you know sort of italian italian grandiose opera stuff and one of the it's, it's kind of you know some of these people who were in it um became really quite famous from it so for example thomas walker played mac heath and he became really really famous and particularly now anyone who's been on my harlot's walk will know the name lavinia fenton we talk about her she was polly peachum um she in fact john gay said in a letter that lavinia had become so famous or so popular within just two months of the show, uh, of the opening of the show, that a, a mezzotint print, so these things that can enable, you know, massive amounts of prints to be made, had been published and that she was considered kind of high vogue, which is wow. quite interesting because she came from very sort of menial menial beginnings. Um, so there, there's a huge amount of kind of celebrity that's going on with this. Mm. And it, was, it opened on the 29th of January in 1728, and it was an absolute sensation. And before the end of that season, 62 performances had happened. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot now, but at the time, that was the longest running theatre production ever. Wow. So it was enormously huge. And because obviously, you know, it was making fun of the the upper classes. Yeah. Did he charge a reduced fee to allow more common folk to come in and see it? Yeah, the aim really wasn't that it was for the upper echelons to come and see it. And they, they might, you know, they it certainly wouldn't have been like a night at the opera. You wouldn't have had your dukes and your earls all going. Mm. They might have gone, but maybe a bit sort of incognito. It wasn't the kind of place where it was only dukes and earls and everybody sort of, um, you know, went to see and be seen. It would be mm. more of a guilty pleasure that they'd kind of sneak in. But no, it was definitely for the everyday folk and it's, this is why it became such a kind of big mm. you know a big hit and it it you know, they never expected it to kind of go quite so big like i say you know john uh, rich took a bit of a punt on it really um but it said that it made rich gay and gay rich ah yes oh, it's been a while since i've heard that little that quote. Phrase. there yeah. was um uh john gay actually wrote a letter um just after about two weeks of the performance and he said it's going really well and I expect uh, maybe that we'll earn about six or seven hundred pounds from it. And by March, the end of March, uh, there was another letter written that said that he was now expecting about two thousand pounds, which would have been worth about four hundred thousand wow. pounds today. And, you know, once you've written it, you just sit back. Right. You know, that's it. Your job's done. You just, you know. Well, back then, yeah, the certainly, you know, once it's there and well, that mm. was, um, yes, yeah, so that was him. Yeah, that was the guy who wrote it. And uh, previous to that, he'd actually been offered the year before he'd been offered this, you know, as a sort of struggling playwright, I guess you take what work you can. And he, mm. he'd been offered a, a role as a kind of clerk um, in, in some form. And the amount that he would have been paid was about 10 times less what he ended up reckoning he was going to earn from this, the, the play in the end, from just wow. one season. 
So very, very impressive. It's unbelievable, really. And it's strange, isn't it? Because now, you know, if you said to me, oh, I'm going to go and see a production of uh, the Beggar's Opera, I would in my mind think that is quite highbrow. You yeah. know, it's not... Um, I mean, we saw, what do we see? Um, Matilda together. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of, um, you know, fun musical. But Beggar's Opera, you can imagine the audience is quite hoity-toity, if I'm allowed to yeah. say that. I mean, I think it probably would be now. And I think that's one of the things is that the sort of, I guess, the the, the society or the kind of political atmosphere, let's say, around it. So the, the thing that made it super kind of cutting and satirical at the time that era has gone but it's now a ve- it's still such a beautifully written piece and the characters mm. are so kind of rounded and colorful that it still t- stands the test of time plus it's kind of got that historical aspect so i guess now yeah it probably would be considered quite a sort of weighty piece or you know yeah. or it wouldn't be it's not you know it's not a wicked let's face it um but it's got lots of layers to it definitely and definitely. i guess it's it was the blueprint to so many plays that suddenly yeah. allowed songs to come in that weren't you know your italian operatic performances exactly. and crucially songs that were part of the plot so songs that mm. sort of mm. drove the whole thing forward mm. um there's also kind of a rather fun bit in there in that um this is the same time as we had the guy who's sort of known as the first prime minister robert walpole Mm. Uh, he's the first person to hold that title officially and during his time as prime minister he was widely seen as being really corrupt um even back then and actually you know because corruption back in the 1700s was was not uncommon at all Mm. so the fact that he was known as massively corrupt meant that he was kind of off the scale a little bit now he wasn't exactly represented directly in it but it is read that a few of the characters sort of drew from his characteristics. For example, um, McHeath and, and Mr. Peachum both have kind of bits of his character and personality, which could be read that they sort of came from him. McHeath uh, is also in the play given the nickname The Great Man. And that was Robert Walpole's nickname. Oh. And he, I mean, John Gay hadn't at all name checked him. So you, you mentioned earlier about putting people in it. And obviously Jenny Diver didn't have an issue or if she did, couldn't really take it up. But he very cleverly didn't put Robert Walpole's name in it or make a character that could directly, you know, be the prime minister or whatever it was. Yeah. So it couldn't kind of go, that's him. But uh, Walpole got so peeved about it that he basically banned the sequel. <gasps> there was a sequel that was written called Polly and oh. he banned it and um, wouldn't let it be performed. And it wasn't performed until much, much later in the 18th century. Oh, wow. But and at this was... point, was John Gay alive when it was oh, yeah. eventually... Oh, oh right, yeah, it was, okay. like, it was like only a couple, like a year or two later after the original right. that he'd written the sequel, right? And um, because it was uh, it was not allowed to be, to be shown, not allowed to be produced, they published it instead. And it was a massively bestseller, <gasps> like hugely wow. popular. And when it finally became uh, produced... Oh, do you mean when it was actually put on the stage, was John Gay alive, do you mean? Yes. No, he was dead by then. Okay. Um, it was back at, it was sort of in the 1780s, 1790s, I think. And he died in about 1730s, late 30s, early 40s, I think. Mm. Um, and when they did finally put it on, they it was kind of referred to as, you know, the play that was squashed and the play that wasn't allowed to be acted. Oh, and so all that even kind of more stuff. so, people are like, I just need to see this play. Absolutely, absolutely. Which I think is rather fun. And I love that yeah. the Prime Minister's kind of like, that's me and you're kind of going well these people are really bad and quite a lot of ice why do you think it's you uh 
I mean, we haven't directly said your name, that so I mean, are you seeing something you. that we're not? Fantastic. <laughs> so, um, it, it, you know, it really caught the attention of well, the, the public, the press, and also our fa- you know favorite old sort of um, uh, Debbie Downer, uh, William Hogarth as well, who you know ah, he's yeah. a bit of a moralist and that kind of thing, but he sometimes does some quite fun stuff, and he did paint a version. Uh, we've painted a, a, a few versions actually of, of different scenes in it one very famous one which is the scene in which Polly and Lucy plead for McKeith's life so uh, in fact, let me is this part you. of his rake's progress no it's a separate uh. kind of thing um, let me find it I'm just going to show Emily this picture um, which is owned oh, by the Tate see what's going so on here. in the middle where, where are have... they or is it just oh. a stage Oh no! So this is in the, supposedly in the courthouse. Right. Okay. Uh, so we have um, this is Polly Peachum here in white in the middle, and again we'll put this picture up on our show notes as well. On the left in blue we have Lucy Lockett, and they are pleading for the life of um, McHeath, who I'm not sure which one McHeath is actually. Uh, oh yes, he, yes. Sorry, he is in the middle. He's got chains on his legs. You can see there he's chained up. Ah yes, he's got coat. legs. He's got his legs quite wide apart there. He's it's quite the, a stance, it? isn't you know, it? You know, when all the politicians a few years ago did that weird thing where they had that like wide leg stance. It's like yeah, he's doing it's that. definitely wide. And he's got chains there. He's got a red coat on, looking you know pretty sort of dapper. But he's got that tricorn hat that we saw with um, with Dick Turpin as well. He's standing in the middle of the scene looking down at Polly Peachum as she's dressed in this lovely kind of white satin dress. She's crouched on the floor sort of with a handkerchief in, in one hand and grabbing onto the coattails of, of we assume, the judge on the other, um, the other hand. But if you look to the right-hand side of the picture, there is a chap sitting there in a blue coat with a little book in front of him. Oh, yes. And this is... Now, this is where Hogarth has kind of blended the two. This is the Duke of Bolton. Now, the Duke of Bolton... Is so Lavinia Fenton, who is playing Polly Peachum in white, um, she had a quite stratospheric rise through society. So she started out as the stratospheric. Daughter. Stratospheric is that another big word for you? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just digest that for about five minutes. Stratospheric. Stratospheric, like the Spheric. stratosphere into the stratosphere. Okay, yes, go on. So uh, she started out life as a uh, a, a girl um, born to a mother whose husband, uh, well, not husband, but betrothed, uh, sort of soon to be husband, had got her pregnant and dumped her. So she came to London, had Lavinia, and Lavinia then was sort of a mistress to a Portuguese trader. She kind of grew up in London in the middle of the sex trade, right by Charing Cross, uh, it's believed. Her mother took up with a, a coffee shop owner there. And Lavinia was sort of on the fringes of the Georgian sex trade uh, in some form. She then applied at the age of 17 to be an actor with John Rich's Theatre. And that was a couple of months before John Gay approached John Rich with this beggar's opera. Lavinia Fenton lands the plum role of Polly Peachum and the Duke of Bolton in the right-hand side, within a year of her going on stage, has been to see her in the performance, has taken her off the stage, popped her in his bed, (gasps) and later on, when his wife dies, he upgrades her from mistress to wife and she becomes Duchess of Later on when his wife dies. So is she in the bed as well? She's mistress up until then. Right, okay. She's like, hang on a minute, darling, there's somebody... (laughs) Else entering the bed tonight. Shift over, love. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he ends up actually marrying her. She becomes Duchess of Bolton. 
Gosh, do you think this is why in the painting here she is upon she is kind of the main person on this rug like there's no other rug kind of on the floor so it almost kind of shows the status maybe i've not thought about that um i don't actually know it's a good question it doesn't hasn't given us a date of when it, this one was painted so i have to say i'm not sure but realistically her you know her stratospheric <laughs> there we go again rise from uh you know sort of normal possible possible harlot definitely kind of just generic mistress uh in the georgian sex trade onto the stage and then on into the duke's house was less than a year so chances are this would have been painted after so there's maybe a chance of that Mm. it's yeah. a it's a fantastic painting we'll put it yeah, up on it. insta there's two people just on the left hand side who were just lip locking they couldn't care less what is going on chatting just, having, a, having a little natter they're snogging yeah but this is supposed to be the kind of the the the, the courthouse that's attached to newgate prison but it's also slightly the theater as well it's, it's kind of rather clever but yeah, yeah so you've got the kind of the curtains the swags at the top it's great yeah. painting Really lovely. Mm. So we'll pop that on the show notes. And if you're on Instagram, we'll pop it on there as well. So, you know, it's a really big deal. And um, the in fact, that painting that we've just seen was one of the first paintings ever made of an English stage performance as well. Oh, was it really? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, so, you know. He just never put his brush down, did he? Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, yeah, he seems to have... He was probably quite dull, wasn't he, at parties? Anyway... <laughs> Um, so there we go. So that first performance of the Beggar's Opera was in 1728. And like I said, it was 62 performances in that first season because theatres used to have seasons then. And the theatre also closed in 1728. So this show closes the theatre, but for a very good reason. And this is where I think the whole thing comes together and you realise how much this little local anti-opera has an impact on London's theatre scene today because it was so successful that John Gay, sorry, no, John Rich, who owned the theatre, took those profits, closed that theatre down and built a new theatre, the Covent Garden Theatre, and he moved his company there and that would later become the Royal Opera House. Ah, gosh. Now, admittedly, that building that he built, because the Royal Opera House has burned down a couple of times, the original Mm. building burned down, but he was the one who moved to Covent Garden Piazza on the site of that old flower market and created, you know, that, that, that play was so much of a runaway hit that the money that was made was able to form the basis of what we have now for the Royal Opera House. That's mad, isn't it? The money that was made from a play that mocked the opera went on to build the Royal Opera House. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. So that's the kind of the sort of legacy that it's got. So the thing Mm. I love about the bits of history that we do on this pod is that there's often bits and you think, oh, that's kind of a cool little story. And then you find out about it linked to something else and you go, wait, hang on, that's actually quite a an important player in the development of this, that and the other. And this little kind of anti-opera, which was put out as a bit of a punt, ended up becoming, you know, a, a sort of changing, changing the face of London theatre, which I think is fantastic. So yeah. I mentioned that, you know, the play is still performed today. It's revived regularly. In fact, I think it's one of the most, if not the most successful play from the 18th century um in english theater the characters like i say they even though the 
ex- direct historical sort of let's say atmosphere around it is gone we can still appreciate them for their satire and their historic significance and it has been produced by a couple of very big names there was a a play that was of it that was produced or performance let's say by sir john gielgud and there was a film that was produced by Laurence olivier Oh, really? So the greats are getting involved with it as well. Yeah. Um, and it is still, I'm sure that at some point, I mean, I've never I've never seen it as a p- production. Um, I have seen little bits of it on screen, but I've never seen the whole thing. Uh, but I really, really want to. So I'm sure at some point, somewhere in London, even if it's a little small theatre that's not one of the big names, will do a version of it. Oh, and, definitely, uh, Alex. I, 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 we'll I did see it, see it in London years ago. Um. But I don't know, I was probably at an age where I was listening to my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Um, no, we've joking. all done it. Um, yeah, but yeah, if, if anybody hears that that production is happening, please message us. Yeah, we'll do another Let's know. Well, that's fantastic, Alex. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, I'm very, very welcome. It's, I, I found it really fascinating. Because I knew story. bits about it, but the, the real kind of details, it's been really lovely to, to rummage in. Mm. Podcast Pedestal. So Podcast Pedestal. Podcast Pedestal, baby. And it's 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 your turn. Oh, it's me to pick, isn't it? Yes. yes. That's, what, yes. that's your new rule. <laughs> that's a new rule. If you've talked okay. about it, you are allowed to pick first. Okay. Okay. Right. I, what am I going to pick? Oh, goodness. I'm so bad at deciding. I think i think for me it is actually the the formation and it's not directly the royal opera house but it's what will become it i think it's is that what you were gonna pick (laughs) yes (laughs) oh no i'm sorry would you want to have that i'll have another one no don't do not be kind to me no (laughs) no i want to win because that's my pick and that was your pick okay I'm going to go with that then. <laughs> I'm going to go with the. Um, I mean, you're so gracious about it. It's really lovely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with sort of the 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 kind of foundations being laid for the Royal Opera House from the success of the Beggars Opera. That's where I'm going to go. Right. Okay then. <laughs> Sorry. Fantastic pick. Well done. Because um, that is, you know, that that's that's the spin on the story, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's a few. I'm quite tempted to go for. I think I might go for Robert Walpole banning the sequel. That was going to be my other choice. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, then I might be in with a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, ask um, Nick what he'd pick. <laughs> yeah, right. He's gone to bed. Um, because that's pretty big, isn't it? You know. Uh, it must have caused such an impact that he wanted he didn't want people to see a sequel to be attached to the one that was making fun of him yeah so i think him banning the sequel is pretty big i'm also tempted to go for jack shepherd yeah not as big a reaction okay we're gonna go for (laughs) robert walpole I think, I, think the, the I think the Walpole one is, is really good because I think it's, you know, he's had a reaction to it, which he's completely, you know, taken on his own merit. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like, why are you so mad? Yeah. 
<laughs> Why are you hitting yourself? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that perfect. So those are your options this week. Okay, oh, brilliant. There we go. Amazing. I'll put the poll up on Sunday. Yay! Yay! Oh, wonderful. Cool. Well, before we go any further, any parish notices? Um, I don't think I do this week. Just to say, enjoy your January, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and also, I need to watch uh, the TV show that Ben, our lovely jingle uh, writer, has been a part of, which is called... Oh, Davina McCall. Yeah, Language language of Love, I think it's called. Language um, of Love. Mm. Yeah, I need to watch that. Um because he's done the he's done the music for it, so yeah, yeah if, fabulous. If you like our jingle, and who doesn't, uh, go and uh, <laughs> go and have a little watch of that. If only just for the fabulous jingle writing of uh, our lovely Ben Morales Frost. <laughs> um, my notices are: I've got a couple. I'm I'm sort of slowly putting more tours up for this year. I figure the first couple of months are going to be quite quiet, so I haven't put too much up. But there are some up there, and I'm gradually. So slinking my way through um, to put some more, um, some more things up. The wheel of destiny. All right, so here we go. It is wheel time. Oh God, <laughs> I was about to say goodbye. It's wheel oh, time. No, isn't wheel it? time. <laughs> Gosh. Um, okay. Well, I am. I'm ready. I've got a massive list. I've spent. Okay you know the past week kind of adding quite a lot to my list so i am ready with my finger if you're ready for it <laughs> i'm ready for your finger mate <laughs> oh, off we go <laughs> oh okay it has i thought i took this one down oh no really if we've been in here so many times oh, St James's we haven't been there that many times have we oh, a few times maybe I think we've been to St James quite a few times um but that's okay because I've got okay. so much on my list yep. um we spoke about St James's Palace no I don't think we have no um I could talk about actually I think I'm going to go in the direction of clubs because the area is very well known for gentlemen's clubs it but is. There's quite a big connection to chocolate houses, which link to the clubs. No, they do. They do. They do. They do. I was thinking of you eating chocolate when we were starting to record the beginning of this. I wonder oh, right. why chocolate's on <laughs> <Yes>. your brain. <laughs> Dark chocolate and hazelnut. It's very nice indeed. It's all gone now. Um, do you know what? That probably. I'm looking at the chocolate empty wrapper that's, now, that's so that's probably it. spurred it on. Um, so yes, I'm going to talk about 18th century chocolate houses all right. in St James. Cool. Yeah, we're going to go there. If you like chocolate, dive in. Love chocolate. Let's do it. Let's do it. Fabulous. Well, that's for next week. Cool. Oh, good. I've always wanted to know more about the chocolate houses. There we go. Perfect. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for coming and listening. We really appreciate it. It's lovely to be back. Lovely to have you back. Indeed. And we will see you next week. And please make sure this is, you know, a legal requirement that you are eating chocolate whilst listening to next week's episode. Absolutely. So, you know, and it could be, I quite favour these days, putting an actual chocolate in a hot chocolate, letting that melt. And then when you get to the end, it's like, oh, my hot chocolate's finished. But hang on a minute, you've got a big gloopy bit of chocolate at the bottom. Oh, oh. you're so gross. How's <laughs> that gross? That's... It just sounds quite slimy. No, maybe it's really nice. I don't know. <laughs> it is really nice. Chocolate but chip with you... Emily. Oh, it's lovely. If you put the big purple one down at the bottom and then you're just left with this nut, <laughs> you've got to be a bit careful though. <laughs> 
scooping nuts out the bottom of your cup. <gasps> okay, let's end it there. <laughs> That's going to be a quote. That'll do it for this week. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Enjoy, enjoy scooping your nuts. We'll see you next week. Out of your cup. <laughs> Honestly. See you later, everyone. Bye. <laughs>